I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at the three chapters that comprise the book of Joel. As a way of introduction about Joel, let's say that theories about the date of the writing of the book of Joel vary from the 9th century B.C. all the way down to the 2nd century. There's no king mentioned in this book to give us a time or reference point. Some have suggested that because the priest seemed to be in the lead rather than a king, it must belong to the period after the exiles returned to the land in the late 6th century when the priests were the de facto leaders of the people. There's no lineage given to Joel that might help us find an absolute century for him. You'll see from my comments in chapter 2, however, that I favor the way the prophecy seems to fit into the events surrounding the unsuccessful siege of Jerusalem which took place in 701 B.C. when the Assyrians came to visit and unsuccessfully uh, attacked the city but weren't able to conquer it. That account begins in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 13, all the way down to chapter 19, verse 37, also 2 Chronicles 32, 9-22, and again in Isaiah 36 and 37. So let's begin reading chapter 1 verse 1, with the occurrence of a bunch of locusts. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the cankerworm eaten. And that which the cankerworm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste, and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin, girded with sackcloth, for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the weed and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. In this passage, we see that something terrible has happened in Israel that prompts Joel to write the words of this prophecy. These verses talk about a terrible invasion of locusts on the land, as described in verse 4. It says, That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, 
and that which the locust hath left hath the cankerworm eaten, and that which the cankerworm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. In other words, they ate everything. The fact that four different Hebrew words are used in verse 4 to describe these locusts probably is to emphasize their thoroughness and the devastation they left behind. It's interesting to remember that God sent locusts as one of the steps leading up to the release of Israel from Egyptian captivity back in the book of Exodus. Furthermore, just prior to Israel's entry into Canaan back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we see Moses issuing a decree to Israel that rebellion will lead to curses upon Israel. And those curses include locusts, or locusts being the grasshopper's cousin. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, God speaking to Solomon at the time of the temple dedication includes locusts as a potential judgment of God if Israel ceases to serve the one true God. Their massive numbers in these periodic swarms that engulf the whole region gave locusts the reputation. Well, a bad reputation, as we see incidental references to them in Judges chapter 6, verse 5, 7, verse 12, and then again in Jeremiah 46, verse 23. In each of those passages, we see their reference regarding soldiers that were too many to be numbered, like a swarm of locusts. Having passed through, it was common that all crops in the land would have been destroyed. As a matter of fact, this phenomenon still occurs from time to time in that region, even today. Back in November, December 2004, the inhabitants of that region, including the southern portion of Israel, were once again fighting off massive swarms of locusts. Now, verse 13, where Job calls for national repentance. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes, yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed is rotten under their clods, the garners are laid desolate, the barns are broken down, and the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture, yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Joel directs the priest in verse 13 to call for a solemn assembly. We see that in verse 14. It's to consist of the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. You notice that no king is mentioned here. That has caused some to believe that this call by Joel must have taken place when there was no king on the throne like uh, after the exiles returned to the land in 535 B.C. However, the warning of verse 15 says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. That term, that phrase, day of the Lord, commonly referenced one of two events by the prophets in the Old Testament, 
One was the destruction of the Assyri by the Assyrians in the 8th century BC. And the second was the destruction by the Babylonians in the 7th century. So here's the bottom line. The land is experiencing a national crisis as a result of the locusts that have just passed through. Likewise, the nation needs to repent in order to avoid a greater chastisement from God. Joel warns of a bigger judgment in chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 1. Blow ye the trumpets in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in his path. And when they shall fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city, they shall run upon the wall, they shall climb up upon the houses, they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye to even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of a great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land, and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make your reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up. 
and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Well, you think this is bad. I mean, the locust. Joel saying this, hang on for an even greater judgment of God on his people. If Joel prophesied between the fall of Israel in 721 B.C. and the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., then this coming judgment would be a reference to another wave of the Assyrian army or perhaps even the Babylonian army. Whatever the coming judgment, it was likened to the army of locusts that we saw in chapter 1. You'll recall that at the demise of the northern kingdom, Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian army and all the food supplies were cut off from the city. Famine, as a result, was prevalent in Jerusalem. It would make sense to assign this prophecy to that period, likening the massive Assyrian army to the locust plague of chapter 1. There's a call for repentance here to avert this judgment. You'll recall that, in fact, Jerusalem was spared from the Assyrian army, and it was a miraculous event. I like the way this passage seems to fit in this time period. Verse 20 could have referenced the retreat of the Assyrian army, the northern army, after God miraculously killed 185,000 troops who were surrounding Jerusalem back in 701 B.C., the historical record is found in 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah 36 and 37. Hezekiah did turn to God at that time, and he received deliverance from the Assyrian army, and Joel proclaims right here that it must be done, that this call for deliverance from God must be done if that deliverance is to be possible. So, you know, Joel's prophecy just really seems to fit very nicely into this era. This next section in chapter 2, beginning with verse 28, these five verses were quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. So let's take a look at those. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. 
Whatever the time period of this immediate crisis, Joel takes his prophetic word to a yet future period of restoration for Israel that begins in verse 28 here. Peter actually uses this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 on the day of Pentecost. He sees the miraculous events of that day as a presentation of the kingdom of God to Israel once again for their acceptance. However, while many Jews were in fact saved that day, as a whole, the Jews rejected the gospel message that he preached in Acts chapter 2. The events of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to all the way down to chapter 3, verse 21 were in reality not fulfilled at that time. As a matter of fact, note the similarity of Joel chapter 2 verse 31 with Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. Revelation 6 12 says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The happenings that we see described there are identical to the ones that we see in Joel chapter 2. Those events will actually take place during the tribulation, very near the midpoint of that period. So, uh, while Joel's prophecy is not to be fulfilled with the days leading up to the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation, the internalization of God's Spirit in believers is the aspect of the new covenant that Peter emphasizes in Acts chapter 2. In fact, since Peter and Paul made references in their writings with regard to the imminent return of Jesus, Peter was probably anticipating these cataclysmic tribulation events mentioned in Revelation 6 to follow within his lifetime. That brings us to chapter 3 where we read about Israel's restoration. Verse 1, For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have given it a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre of Sidon and all the coast of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Because ye have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians, that ye might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place where ye have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. They shall sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war, wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full and the vats overflow, for the wickedness is great. 
multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. For the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. The prophetic events of chapter 3 must be assigned to the judgment of the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, and the restoration of Israel at the beginning of the millennium. The wording regarding Jerusalem in verses 20 and 21 cannot plausibly be fulfilled in any other way. We see the judgment of the nations which Christ addressed in Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46. And we see that in that passage as well. Israel will actually be restored in Joel's prophecy just as will take place immediately following the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19 verses 11 through 21 that passage of the second coming of Christ, leading into the millennium where Joel's prophecy will find complete fulfillment. Notice the river in verse 18. It extends from the millennium temple all the way to the Dead Sea through the valley of Satine. Ezekiel also mentions this river in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. Incidentally, Palestine in verse 4 is translated in the King James Version from the Hebrew word plesheth, and it should be understood as Philistines. The King James Version also translates this word as Palestina in Exodus chapter 15, verse 14, and also again in Isaiah 14, verses 29 and 31. In the other four usages, all found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 60, verse 8, 83, verse 7, 87, verse 4, and 108, verse 9, the word is appropriately translated Philistines or Philistia. It should be noted that the actual name of Palestine to describe the region of today's Israel was a late designation of the second century ascribed to it by the Romans in an attempt to prevent the Jews from laying claim to the land after the Bar Kokhba revolt of the early second century AD. Today Palestine is still used as a universally accepted designation for the whole region of the Holy Land which is deemed to be politically correct in that it conveys no God-given rights of ownership to the Jewish people. You'll pardon me if I continue to refer to that region myself as the Holy Land rather than Palestine. During the millennium, that designation will be completely indisputable. It will, in fact, be the Holy Land. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. 
The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.